0: Welcome to the Hellraiser Podcast.
1: This is Paul T. Taylor and you're listening to the
0: Hellraiser Podcast. Thanks Paul. Hello everyone. Welcome to the Hellraiser Podcast. I'm Peter and with me again is Phil. Hello everyone. And we're back again after a bit of a lengthy absence. Sorry. But we're actually working out how to do this properly and how to do it more regularly. So we've got more news on that coming soon. But this is episode 49A of the Hellraiser podcast. We'll explain why it's 49A in a minute as well. 49A. But today we're going to be talking about the brand new... Well, it was (laughs) a while ago. The brand new Hellraiser movie. The 10th film in the series, Hellraiser Judgment. Mmm. Mmm, indeed. Yes. So this came out in February 2018. We got it just before Valentine's Day. Perfect Valentine's gift for all your loved ones. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So first of all, let's explain why we're doing forty nine A. It's because because I'm really anal about numbers, <laughs> and we've got a fiftieth special coming up. What we'd like to do is for our fiftieth episode is do a big, nothing specific geek fest where we answer people's questions. We just talk through the whole franchise, just have a whale of a time with a couple of drinks, and um, <laughs> answering people's questions on. Twitter and Facebook and just have a a jolly old time. That sounds so good. But we also want to do our judgment commentaries as soon as we can. So what we're going to do is this is 49A and then 49B will be our judgment commentary. And then we'll have our big 50th exciting so there you go that's why I've done this stupid numbering thing because I'm really OCV. if you about were numbers. a serial killer this would be your thing isn't it yeah numbers you know numbers like a number be a basement of numbers Been being or... killed in episodes <laughs> <laughs> and so now we're going to be talking about Hellraiser Judgment
1: obsolete mm. irrelevant
0: in an age when desire has become amplified, but where lust can be sated electronically, we need something more than just a wooden box. There is a mechanism. The house is ready we can adapt. Technology may have
1: advanced, but sin remains unchanged, pure, greed. Lust, lies, betrayal. This new millennium
0: hurtles forward. Faith is lost. Mankind have become a vacuum without morality. So many souls seeking new and darker experiences.
1: Degradation upon degradation. Sin after sin. So
0: then those are the souls we shall seek out first. At the very beginning, as you just heard, we have Pinhead talking to a new character, who we find out is the Auditor, about how the box isn't working anymore. They need something new, something fresh. Mm. Like a film studio. Like a film studio. Yeah, they could <laughs> what, do with a film new? studio, yeah. And so we have this whole new faction of Hell brought in. Um, so this film was written and directed by Gary Tunnicliffe, Gary J. Tunnicliffe, who's been working as a special effects guy in the franchise since the third film. Mm. And you may know as the writer of Hellraiser Revelations. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he managed to write and direct this one. So first of all, the, the most important thing was that this film be better than Revelations. Mm. And we're very happy to say it is. It is. <laughs> it and if, really you're, is. if you're putting it against Revelations, it's a lot better, mm. in my opinion. Uh, we're going to get spoilery very early on. So um, if you haven't seen the film yet, check it out if you can. Very hard to get on the, in the UK at the moment. But um, if you if you haven't seen the film, we're going to spoil it. If you don't care about spoilers, then have a listen. If you haven't seen the film and you listen to us talk about it, you're going to be very confused and you're going to think we're making stuff up. You're just, you're just going to waste your time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we have the auditor talking to Pinhead about this new system of getting souls and people that have sinned. Which, this is what we're talking about in this film. It's, it's about, as the name implies, judgment and people sinning, which is a bit different to the original film, where it's just a case of you open the box, even if you're a lovely person like Kirsty, we're going to grab you anyway. Yeah, which which I prefer on I, the whole. Yes, I think I, I do as well. The kind of whole sinning thing that the franchise kind of went down. Yeah, kind of. Never from interested me Inferno onwards, yeah, it became about if you're a bad person, we're going to punish you. Yeah, which I kind of think is a bit more. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. I, I get it. Yeah, it's it's, and no matter what you think of whether you like that or not, this is this is the way the franchise has gone. So we kind of they have don't to listen agree. to me. They don't, do they? Phil? They don't. You're always having a go at them. They don't care <laughs> what I think, but someone does. Indeed, it's you. I do. yeah. Yes, just me. Yeah. Straight away, we're introduced to this new faction of hell who are known as the Stygian Inquisition. Are they called that in the film? No. All oh, right. <laughs> no, that's just what that's what Gary calls them. They're, they're, that's what they're called. Gary Tunnicliffe has called them that. They're never mentioned by that in name in the film. They've got their own specific character names and what mm. they do. Mm. But um, no, they are. For those who didn't know, they're known as the Stygian Inquisition, and these are not. Cenobites they are different to Cenobites there are some Cenobites in the film as well but these guys are not Cenobites and he's very clear of saying that and I think the main difference is that they don't have a snazzy leather uniform yeah they don't they're kind of cenobite in every other yeah. way they're, yeah <laughs> they are yeah they are in other ways absolutely but they're uh, not the actual minions of, of Leviathan no um so what do we think of the Auditor then to just well, it off Um I think, he's, I think he's great. First of all, you might know or might not know, it's played by the writer and director, Gary Tunnicliffe. Yes. Who we have seen before in the short film he made, No More Souls, where he plays Pinhead, mm. which we both really like. We like that little short film. Really good, yeah. Um, it, he actually has given himself a role in this film, quite a big role, um, and he admits that it's partly to do with... The logistics of of doing the makeup and he can you know be there first thing in the morning and put all his makeup on and you know do all that sort of thing but also just ego he wanted to give himself a really good part with lots of nice lines <laughs> um and if you hear him interviewed he's a he's a very very honest down-to-earth guy so he's very happy to <laughs> say all these things um, yeah, I, I think he's really good in this film, though. I do. I like yeah. I like his um, performance. And the, the, the way he, the auditor looks as well Yeah, is good. Yep. He's got some slash lines um, on his head, some bloody... He kind of looks like uh, that version of Pinhead that they reimagined. Well, that was Gary that reimagined it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. he's obviously kind of taken that and yes. used it for this with Minus the Pins. Yes. So those who don't know, there was a, a possible talk of a remake... And Gary designed a a new version of Pinhead where it was more diagonal lines. But where they crisscrossed, there were nails or pins. And yeah, this is sort of that, but without the pins, Mm. which works. It looks good. Yeah, it looks cool. It does. And he's doing a a little sort of German-ish accent. So you said that (laughs) and I was like, I don't, it didn't sound German to me. Um, but it sounded good yeah it's it clearly not interesting yeah it's an interesting accent it's clearly not uh, english um it's not no it's not just so standard it, it, i think it works, it works. Um, Even if it's not a, a a bang on german accent i think I don't, it works for the film then for the character it does it really works um i wouldn't have said it was german but it, it certainly <laughs> it certainly works um and he's he's yeah he's an he's an interesting character mm. i like they're going down that road of of the kind of character not being an aggressor, as such. They're they're yeah. kind of oh you know I'll, uh, tell me everything and uh, we'll get this over with as soon as possible. Yeah, he comes across as a very nice guy, which he, is quite funny. Yeah, even though he says that he deals in um, pain, his currency is pain. He gets a little by blade answer. I could get, I could off you some. Uh, spend some on <laughs> spend you. Spend some asset, Yeah, which is a good line. Yeah, it's a great line. Um, so he, he's saying I could, do me, I could cut you. you cut you up? Uh, no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just saying it in such a nice way. And I also like when he's sort of um, surprised by something, how he kind of goes, oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <It's> a <little laughs> he's bit, a little bit prissy, isn't he? Yeah, it, isn't it's like? a little bit kind of, oh, oh all right then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a nice character. It's uh, possibly the most well-drawn-out character in the whole film. <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> I think so. Uh, but we'll get to that a bit later on. So um, anyway, we've got, I've jumped on a little bit now because we first we've got to meet the guy who's being audited and yes. So the first um, character we kind of the first human character we meet is this chap called Carl Watkins, who is a horrible paedophile and murderer. Yes. For those who don't know, those are bad things to be. They me. are bad things, and yeah. So he's well deservedly strapped mm-hmm. into his chair. Well, first of all, they say the box isn't working because we live in a te- technological age, and so they they write him a letter on a typewriter. <laughs> um so he gets a letter inviting him to this place uh, 55 Ludovico Place oh yeah Ludovico from the first Ludovico Street Mm. from the uh, original movie and the book Hellbound Heart and uh, Ludovico Technique from Clockwork Orange yes as well Well, Clockwork Orange it's got a lot of history behind that that. Clive Barker might have been referencing Clockwork Orange when he wrote Hellbound Heart yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. so there you go Mm. so Carl Watkins is brought in to be audited And the auditor's sitting down with the typewriter, writing in blood. I think this is supposed to be Carl's blood being pumped out of him. It's being sucked out of him, isn't it, and going into the typewriter. And uh, according to Gary, it's supposed to be writing on skin, which is a fantastic idea. uh, But I must say, in the close-ups, it doesn't really look like skin to me in the typewriter. No, and I don't think in some of the other scenes, which we'll get to in a minute, Mm. it it looks like skin. It looks mm-hmm. like paper. You know, and it's like it reacts or, or like very, paper. Or very, very thick paper, like parchment-y paper. Mm. Um, but I do think um, this typewriter is a great idea. Yeah. And it looks really cool because it's got all these little whirring, steampunky-type cogs and wheels yeah. and flywheels and stuff on it. Uh, and I think this bit is really well filmed. I love the, yeah. the shots of the typewriter, the sound effects of the all whole, the stuff. The whole, all of this stuff in this... this version of hell in the stygian hell area is amazing and it's beautiful and is really good yeah. It's very very well designed it looks great there's sort of a, a yellowy filter over everything and like you were saying the, there's little cogs and things and it's a bit steampunky but also it's very horror as well mm. it's really good this bit I, it's I really excellent like it. yeah if you've seen if you haven't seen the film but you've seen the trailer a lot of this stuff is in the trailer Yes. Um, so you've sort of got the idea from that the, the way it looks, that sort of thing so once he's been audited, he's taken to the assessor mm-hmm. and the assessor is this big guy who comes in, he gets the pages that have been written on about Carl's past, and he covers them in tears from children children's tears children's, children's tears, tears. <laughs> Um, this guy, for those who don't know, uh, the guy that plays the assessor is the director of the movie Feast. And I think the other films, the other Feast movies as well. Um, wh- he won a competition, the Greenlight Project. Project, is that Project it? Project yeah. Greenlight. Project Greenlight, that's it. It um, was a competition for filmmakers and the winner got to get their film actually made as a proper feature film. And he won with his idea for, for the, this film called Feast, which is a creature feature. And it's really good fun if you haven't seen it. It's, it's worth checking out. Um, and he knows Gary. I think he worked. Gary worked on Feast. I think, and he got him in to play this part. And he's he's great. He's horrible. <laughs> he's, he's he is really good. And again, this is really well filmed. Mm. Um, so he pours the tears on the on the paper. pages, and then he gets out knife and fork, and he's and he eats <laughs> he the pages down. Um, and this is just so grotesquely filmed. Yep. It is disgusting. Graphic close ups of it being eaten. <sighs> yeah, it's great. It's good stuff. Mm, it's great. Uh, and then, once he's finished, he has some uh, sort of stomach gurgles and he throws up into a, into a funnel. Into a sort of tube in yeah. the wall. And Carl's like, yeah, they'll teach you, you bastard. Yeah. But it's actually on purpose. It's supposed to happen. And the assessor gives him a little cheeky grin. Then he gives him a little bow. A little bow, which <laughs> and is and really he's, funny. It's lovely. And then, the other side of the wall, all the vomit has gone into a sort of trough, trough on the yeah. other side of the wall and there are three ladies there they are the jury so they're there to to give a verdict i thought they were the meaningless titillation <laughs> ah yes because yeah, they are um completely naked except for very small underwear sort of pants they've got mm. their 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 breasts are out but they've got very small sort of thongs on um, and, but also, their faces are a bit sort of cenobitic and ripped apart and flayed so they, open. Yeah, the mouths are kind of yeah uh, flayed. So when I first saw this, I, I wasn't that keen on the jury because to me it looked like three hot women being forced to kneel down with not much clothes on, and it didn't look it didn't look as in keeping with the other characters and the other people in in hell to me. Yeah, and I think, like you said, it, it it you either need them to be naked. I said this when we were watching it. Yes, or or wearing more sort of leathery, actual, yeah, actual costumes because when they're just ladies in little little knickers, uh, it doesn't really work as well. No, and you just kind of it, think the about costume the. Design. You just kind of think about the actors and it yeah, just and, looks a bit uncomfortable. They, and they a didn't bit want, and, and, of, and he, hmm. he, Gary didn't. He didn't feel comfortable having them completely naked, which is which is understandable. This we haven't said that yet. This was a very low budget film, and it doesn't look it. No, it doesn't. Except for certain little things. Yes, <laughs> there are things like um like the 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 paper not looking like skin. a Bit more money, maybe they could have done that, or these jewelry ladies uh, could have either been naked or in a bit more of a, a leathery type costume type. I thing. mean, I. Do, you... Do you know whether that was, he wanted them to be naked from the beginning? I would have thought he did, because <laughs> that's the kind of guy he is. <laughs> but um, in, he says in interviews, and there's a, there's a commentary you can find on YouTube that he has recorded for a YouTube channel um, for the movie. And he says in that that they, he didn't want to film it naked on set because it's, it's very uncomfortable to film fully nude on set. And it's not nice for, for anyone involved, really. Well, just don't make them naked then. Well, exactly. That's my but, point. You know, it's one of those kind of things <laughs> you... have to where pay you, more as well, I think. I think, um, you know, you, you wonder whether this is one of those decisions where it was a bit, well, you know, to get the film made, got to be some nudity in there or something yeah. like that. You know, maybe someone was pushing for it mm-hmm. or maybe he was happy to provide that from the beginning because well, he knew that that would help yeah, get the film made. It definitely helped, yeah. Any any, any teenage boys watching, they're going to enjoy this bit. Well, Whoever. Peter, it doesn't have to be teenage boys. Absolutely, excuse me. I <laughs> do apologise. I'm just thinking about myself. Yeah, as a teenager, exactly. I would have loved this bit when I was a teenager, and I was a teenage boy. So yes. Um. So then, anyway, the jury put their hands into the assessor's vomit. Originally, that old a, that old saying in the script, <laughs> uh, he had them drinking it. I mean, I knew as <laughs> soon as I saw it, I thought, oh, they're going to drink they're gonna it. They're going to eat it. And eat it. But, eat uh, it, but um, the studio was like, no, do no. <laughs> you can't have them eating it. That's too far. So they just put their hands in it, and that, and they feel around, and from that they know whether he's guilty or innocent. And they turn around and they say, "Guilty, guilty, guilty," and he's guilty. Of, I mean, of's. we knew that because he admitted <laughs> already. Yeah, it's not really it's not really gone into how someone could be innocent if he's just given his confession, and why did you go th- when he's actually said, "Yes, I did all these things." Why do you need to have the assessor and the jury? Keep him in work. Exactly. Don't want to put him out of work. Yeah. Uh, then he's sent to be cleaned. Now we have the cleaners come in, who are more naked ladies. Originally, and we knew this because we saw the original breakdowns of the, the characters when they were casting it, if you remember, mm, all those months a ago long when we, we time ago. read those. These are supposed to be very old ladies, completely naked, Reminiscent of the old woman in The Shining. Um, they're supposed to be 80 or 90 years old, completely naked and licking him clean with their tongues. However, they couldn't find any 80 or 90 year old women to play the parts who were willing to do it. So they're not that old. They're sort of middle aged ish. Mm. Um, and they're still naked and they're still licking him clean. Yes. Which is quite nice. I mean, it's quite gra- and nice in a horror way, not in a like, oh, that's nice. And it's it's a nice visual. It's it's very cool. Yes, yes. <laughs> Just I I wasn't sitting thinking, oh, do you know what That's I, could, I nice. could do with that right now? But they should <laughs> I wish they offered that at a spa. Yeah. You know we should start one. Wow. The Hellraiser the Stygian spa Stygian Spa. Stygian Spa. There you go. Uh, more info coming soon. And then Is that how we're gonna pay for the podcast? In the yeah. <laughs> there you go. More news on that. Absolutely. Yeah, more news on that as well later we've got we've got a plan. We've got a plan there's a plan afoot, everyone. Uh, to get in your ears more often. Um, now that at our spa, there's a, this there's a bit here that that I my imagination kind of went with. So they're licking him clean, which you mm-hmm. sort of see very briefly, and you get the idea. And then it cuts away, or oh, the camera does pull away, so we don't really see the you details. Know, you right don't really now. see the details at this point, but you you get the the gist. And they say you must be clean. Yeah, inside, inside. And out and out and And then you just cut to a shot of the auditor going oh dear oh and and my mind just started thinking what are they doing to him i just went rimming yes straight away yes (laughs) something like that you know they've got those very long tongues that go inside yeah exactly so that's what my mind went to at this point but then later later on we find out that that's not quite i mean that could still be true if they didn't because we actually later on i'll tell you something else later on but the other cleaning scene in the film there was a lot more film that they didn't put in okay well <laughs> later on anyway but, um, you see that that's not the case yeah me, it doing. does mean something else yes which we'll get to later right ladies and gentlemen uh, once he's been cleaned then this new character turns up who is now we've got there's two names he's called the butcher or the surgeon and I think there's both of them I think the butcher is the big yeah because in the film he refers to this person as the surgeon. Well the butcher is the big one yeah, so you've and got the surgeon big... is the other one. Yeah. So this big guy turns up with a sort of baby's it's like wooden isn't it a wooden baby's face mask. Looks wooden to me. Mm, it looks like something out of that Manhunt computer game. Oh yeah. From years yeah, it ago. Does. Yeah. And if you've seen the trailer he's in the trailer and he's got a big sort of hunchback and it turns out in his back is this much smaller character with a big gas mask on so the big guy is the butcher and the little person that comes out is the surgeon yes so the surgeon's in like a kind of black pvc yeah pvc tight costume black gas mask with two very nice um big knives that look like sort of crescents yeah crescent shaped metal knives and he and he or she cuts cuts carl up yeah um, and this bit is really well filmed, I thought, because yeah. when when the surgeon comes out, mm. it just looks amazing. It's I just ama- think and it's slow looks... motion and things flying around. It and... looks really no, fantastic. This is all brilliant. This and if all... had I not known that this was going to happen, I would have been even yeah, more excited. I thought it was, excited. A sh- it was a shame there was so much in the trailer. Obviously, trailers are there to make people go, oh, I want to see that. But I, I wish I hadn't seen these visuals in the trailer because it, it would have been... Much more impressive seeing it in, for the first time in the film. Yeah. Um, so then we find out that... Uh, I'm going to say she. I, I, I think of it as a female character. Yes. Yes, Me I'm going to say strangely. she. Um, I think it might have been played by a woman. Not entirely sure. Mm. We'll find that out. Um, she hasn't been chopping him up. She's actually been... Well, he's skinned, basically. She pulled, pulls Expertly his slicing the skin off. off. in Looks like in one piece. Yeah. So Carl Watkins is skinned. And then that's the end of him. We don't see him again. And the skin is thrown to the floor and the jury are there and they all get his blood splurted all over their naked breasts. Which again is just a bit weirdly gratuitous. It is, yeah, this bit is a bit... With the little tube that squirts it on their chests. Yeah. But there's also a little bit here that um, that was cut out of the film that isn't in the film but apparently they've got um, scissors around their necks and what they then did, they then cut up the skin... And that became paper for the typewriter for the next victim. That's is bit, a good idea. An, yeah, it's a great idea, but that's not in the film. Mm. So that's the end of that bit. That's So that we just met all of the members of the Stygian Inquisition, and that's what happens when you get audited. And how does Pinhead fit into this? Well, he's just sort of sat in a room. <laughs> looking at a wall. <laughs> at the moment, looking at a wall. Um, we see Pinhead every now and again. He's bathed in blue rather than the sort of yellowy, reddy-yellow of the... Stygian stuff, and he's not really doing much at the moment, is he? He's not. Well, we're going to talk about him later because obviously it's a new it actor a new playing Pinhead, actor. Um, but he's not had much to do yet. So we'll leave him for no, now. Let's leave him, and we'll, we'll come leave. back to him yes. soon. And then we start on the actual human story of the film. We cut to a lady, Crystal, who's coming home from being out, and she comes into the room into her apartment. She's very well off and there's candles everywhere. She thinks it's her fella or her casual fella who's, who's snuck in to, to give her a quickie, as she says. Mm. And she can't find her little dog either. Oh, where's her little doggy she loves? Where is her dog? And uh, it turns out there's someone else there who gets her. Beats her up. And she's got by a baddie. Hmm. Um. And there's some, some not amazing... Uh, lines that she has to to yeah. say in this scene. When, on a, I mean, it is hard when you're on your own, walking around trying to, you know, when you've got. Dialogue. It's a difficult scene. It is because yeah. she's supposed to be a bit drunk, yeah. and and she's got kind of dialogue where she has to kind of say things which she wouldn't really say, like, no, where's my dog? Yeah, where you wouldn't you wouldn't <laughs> say that like, you just call for your dog, you know, mm-hmm. um, so things like that. Which is just it's just a tough scene, I think. It is, yeah. Uh, but then we don't know what happens to her for, at the moment. We then cut to our two main male characters in the film, two main male human characters, I should say, who are detectives and they are brothers. We have Sean and David Carter, mm. who are brother detectives. Um, Sean is being a bit moody, he's sort of the older brother. He's a bit moody, and David's the younger one, I'm trying to get into the conversation but can't really get anywhere. Yeah, and he looks a bit kind of fresh-faced Yeah, so looking. immediately he goes, right, this is the young, preppy, fresh-faced one. This is the moody older one, leather jacket older one. Yeah. A bit like Frank, basically. Yes. Like Frank Cotton. So we get to the crime scene, and then the lady, Crystal, is laid out on the floor, and it says, I am a jealous god on the floor. And there's a, a laptop playing a clip over again of... of her saying I worship, I worship this little guy talking about this her dog I worship this little guy now we discover what's going on there's a serial killer on the loose everyone yeah and this person is killing people because they love seven. <laughs> oh, oh no yeah here no, we go no alright so no. this we can't really get away have we, have we, actually we missed the opening credit sequence which we'll talk about here as well yeah so this film in places is quite reminiscent of the movie seven from 1995 um which is one of my favorite films of all time Mm -hmm. i think it's absolutely if you haven't seen seven go and watch it right now my god it's good um so in seven there's a killer killing people like the seven deadly sins and in this film in hell judgment he's killing people like the ten commandments so it's not exactly the same but it's it's similar and I think you know you you mentioned um, when we were chatting that Gary Tunnicliffe thought he he wasn't so keen on these comparisons. No, well he he he's he's very strong saying it's it's not a ripoff. I mean he's he's a I'm fan sorry, of Seven, yeah. so he, he's not. It's sort of homage in some ways, but the opening credit sequence is is quite similar to the opening credit sequence of Seven, and Gary tries to say it's not. But it it, it, it it really is, is. It, in doubt and it's about the feel of it. the music is quite similar hmm um, and the the way things are moving around and the, the words are popping up and, and things are flashing over each other, it is quite similar. It is, and you know the just the very subject matter is so similar yeah. you know with the killer and that killing did, and these are these lessons and that kind of thing. that did actually take me out of it when I f- the first time I saw the film and the opening credits <coughs> came along, I was like, oh. This is like seven, um, which is a shame. but now I know'm and I watched it again, I'm happy just to let it wash over me. <laughs> yeah, 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 but I think I think it's unavoidable some of the similarities and, and just is. the fact yeah. that you know it's two cops in a kind of darkened room mm-hmm. uh, with dead bodies you know looking around serial killers, houses yeah. and stuff it, it's it's going to be very similar no matter what you do yeah. with it. So we're gonna we're gonna give it a pass because <laughs> we love seven. And it's not a complete rip-off. It's similar, but that's okay. It's undoubtedly similar, but it's not, not necessarily to the, to the detriment. No. So anyway, Sean and David Carter are at the crime scene when a lady turns up. <gasps> and it turns out she is another detective. She's fully clothed. She is. Yeah. Wow. And the first one we've seen. And this is Christine Edgerton and she is another detective who's been brought in to help out with the case and they're a bit start with they're like why, why we're not doing a very good job Then it's like oh, no, no, I'm just, you know, I'm just here well, they course. have a kind of unnecessarily oh yeah, point, both point and guns at her scene yeah. where she just rocks up out of nowhere mm-hmm. while they're looking at a dead body and there's no one else there and then they <laughs> nearly shoot her because Ooh. they don't know who she is yeah, they do <laughs> which is a bit unnecessary and she seems fine with that <laughs> She's like, yeah, this enough. is this is the way that all police officers greet each other, you know, gunpoint. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, she gets her card out and tells them who she is. Yeah. And they go, oh, okay, fine. go, so, okay, fine. Uh, so there she is. Um, and so she's joining the case, and so they reluctantly let her join and go back to their their office. And I think here is kind of, just want to touch on it a little bit the the characterization. Um. Where these, these characters, they don't have much uh, individuality, something going for them. Do you know what I mean? There's mm. they're, they're, there's not much to draw you in with them. They do what they yeah. do, but kind of her coming in is supposed to put a bit of a cat amongst the pigeons and make make yeah. it feel a bit like, oh, well, they've, she's disrupted their investigation, but I didn't really get the sense of anything from them yet anyway. No, I didn't know exactly. It's a bit too soon. Um and it's fine, you know, they're, they're doing what they're doing, they're going through it, they're, you know, they're moving the plot along, but I think they could have done with a little bit more fleshing out, As so Yeah, I agree, because the, um, the film's very, very short, it's only one hour and 20 minutes, or 22 mm. minutes, so they could have added a little bit more in here. Yeah, and I think it would have been nice, you know, and, 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 and Gary's obviously capable of doing it, because he does it with some of the other moments yeah. to the other characters, so... Um, yeah, I think he could maybe have just indulged himself a little bit more and made these characters mm. a little bit fuller. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, and at this point, they say that there have been eight murders because they say there are two commandments left. <gasps> so the... And this killer, we find it was called the preceptor. Preceptor. Which is an old word meaning sort of teacher. Or someone who teaches Preacher. lessons. Preacher. Uh, so there's two left. They don't say which ones. We find out... One of them because there's another murder, mm. um, but in seven they they yeah make sure they list them all off so you know exactly what's happening. What <laughs> yeah, hasn't. yeah. But we they don't really go through. I mean, they sort of touch on some of the other murders, but they don't talk through all eight of them, which is fair enough because there's you know there's eight. It would be a bit boring. I think we just listed eight ways people have been killed. Yeah, I mean the one that the, they talk about one at one point and it's so outlandish what they're saying. It's, it's nuts, almost yeah. amusing because it's kind of just cutting off his tongue, feeding, <laughs> feeding his tongue to, to his kids. kids. Um, because he lied and he's feeding them lies yeah so, it's, so and that, that one was about lying <laughs> that's, that's that one this one with the dog which we haven't actually got to the dog yet we haven't uh, so the dog's, so the dog's missing the dog's missing there's no dog there but the dog's in the, in the, in the video where is my here. dog and then <laughs> her stomach moves and they reach down and they lift up her top and there's a big cut that's been sewn back up in her stomach lower stomach um, moves, opens up, and the dog is pulled out. Edgerton pulls out the little dog, who's still alive. Still alive, Somehow. which is amazing. Ooh, did it have some kind of a little tiny gas mask on? or a breathing device? <laughs> I don't know how it was able to breathe in there. But, uh... And then David Carter immediately says, oh my God, the dog was her baby. Therefore, he put it in her womb. And mm. for me, that went... First of all, How how did you know just from that it was in her womb? Because... You, you know it's down everything's there, quite close together down there. <laughs> just because it was in her lower stomach it, it could have been somewhere else um and that's a bit of it's a bit of a stretch what i would have preferred was the, the next scene when they've been autopsy saying the dog was had been in her womb or something like that yeah so maybe just move that line um so to me that that line is a bit like is what i what hey. yeah it's a bit of a weird jump mm. um but uh, it's—I mean, it's—it's it's a very interesting concept, and I've not seen this before in a film. I don't think. No. So that's quite cool. It's mm. nice to be surprised. Yeah, it was a good moment. Yeah. Um, and did you see there was there was a lot of stuff online about there were people kicking up a stink because he was talking about how he'd done stuff to a little dog, and all of a sudden, people online were going, "I can't believe he was so mean to a dog." And he was like, No, really? come on. Yeah, didn't you see this? No. Oh, there was a whole thing about it a few months back. Because Tunnicliffe said something in an in a com- in interview somewhere about this scene with a little dog, and people were, you know, found it really sickening. And then someone had a go at him for being cruel to animals, and he had to turn around and say, No, I wasn't actually cruel. And the, the little dog coming out of her stomach is a is a toy dog. <laughs> Obviously. And then she lifts it up, and it looks like it's covered in blood, but actually. Her hands are covered in blood, but the dog's covered in water. Yeah, and it's really quite cleverly done. Yeah, yeah. So there was nothing at all, but this. But there was for a moment before anyone saw the film. There was a bit of a. Well, you
1: can't make this man's make, cruel to animals. You can't thing. make
0: a film and be cruel to animals because all animal stuff has to be supervised. Yeah, exactly. Peter turn up and they're like, get out. They have, they have a humane society, don't they? Who come yeah. and watch it? Yeah. So anyway, that was a bit silly. So now um, we are into the police procedural aspect of the film, which for me is the least interesting and least enjoyable moments of the movie. Yeah, because you're on to a really interesting stuff with the the Stygian Inquisition and how that's going. And then this police stuff, um, it's just a little bit seen it all before um yeah and it's a little bit ploddy and sort of doesn't really go anywhere for a while and they're just walking around their office and again you know there's nothing surprising in these moments they're all things you've seen before you've seen these characters before the characters aren't particularly you know uh exciting Mm -hmm. the story's getting told but it's not you i always feel like you're one step ahead of the film the characters yeah because you know you know, you kind of know. All right, well then I know the next thing's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So then there's another crime scene they go to. So this is the ninth commandment, and it's in a children's playground, and there are little children's hands in a circle, severed, severed hands, and jars of blood. Looks like. Mm-hmm. Oh, first of all, there's a very quick shot of this saw sawing sawing something and blood and pliers pulling out the tooth and that's nice and graphic Mm. and in the hands they open up one of the hands and there's an eyeball and some teeth Mm. they say eye for an eye tooth for a tooth and on the wall or on the fence on the fence of the playground is written thieves and the word is made up of missing children posters yeah so that's all really, that's all really this cool. This is great. Yeah. I think this is really cool. I, I prefer this to the beginning murder. Mm. Um, yeah, I do. it's just a bit more interesting again. It's a bit more kind of like, what is going on here? Mm. Yeah, there's some really good ideas going on in this film. Mm. And then in the course of their investigation, we're going to skip a little bit now. We're going to go through every single scene. Um, they discover that the, the children and the lady womb dog victim are sort of tied to this this place that ties into the Carl Watkins character, who they've not men- mentioned or met yet. And they find out he's this paedophile who's been banned from going near this school playground because he likes to mm. jerk off to girls um, yeah, mm. doing their gym <laughs> lessons. So they go to his house, his apartment. He lives down in the basement. And who's the landlady? <gasps> it's Heather Langenkamp from the first, third, and seventh (laughs) (laughs) Nightmare on Elm Street films. Yeah. And she's the reason that this film sort of was released into the open to start with, into the public. Yeah, she kind of spilled the beans on it. She did, which we've talked about before. Um, This was all sort of around the time that the Harvey Weinstein awfulness was kicking off. And so you do wonder, if she hadn't mentioned it, what would have happened to the film? It could have just been shelved and... We yeah. might have never seen it. You don't know. And I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's no reason why yeah. it would have been released. Because Paul Taylor, the new um, pinhead, he, he was just in complete secrecy. He wasn't allowed to talk about it at all. And as soon as she dropped the bombshell and they, the studio admitted, all right, yes, there is another Hellraiser film, then he was allowed to talk about it. Yeah. And his world opened up. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so there we go. The Heavlan, because everyone was very excited that she was in the film. Yes. And she's listed quite high in the credits on IMDb. And if you look on the Amazon store, that sort of thing. And she's in it for about eight, nine seconds. It's really <laughs> she's short. She's got two, like two lines and that's yeah. it. And then she's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a bit like, oh, is, is that it? Oh, okay. Um, but they go into Carl's apartment. It's all very horrible. There's a, a laptop. This is Seven. Yeah, it is. This is so similar, and they find the the letter. I think this is the letter that he was given. He was sent at the very beginning of the film, written on the typewriter. And they happen to see on his laptop, which first of all has a underage porn site, which they don't click on, luckily. <laughs> um, th- they find his the one of the things he last looked at on his internet search was this place, fifty five Ludovico Place. So. Sean goes to the place to find out what's going on mm. and he comes across the auditor and then all of a sudden now we're into Sean's audit. So is this does this mean that if you just turn up there he'll audit you? Well it's, it's kind of implied that they do know about him that he's got a dark past which we won't go into now completely. Mm. Okay. Actually, we will, because it makes this conversation better. <laughs> spoiler is your last spoiler warning. Oh, well, come on. <laughs> so, turns out, at the end of the film, Sean is the preceptor. Yes. So he's the killer. Um, and at this point, when he's being audited, you we, Did you see that coming? Um, I kind of did, and then I thought it, it was like a red herring for me. I thought... I think he, he's he's this moody dark man I think he might be the killer and then I thought later on actually no I know he's not actually he's not the killer yeah, so then yeah. the actual reveal was quite good yeah I think I had oh, the same oh he is after all I think I had the same yeah so it did work for me yeah, yeah the reveal worked for me yeah. but at this point he's talking to the auditor about his past and how he's, he he hurt a dog when he was a kid and then start talking about he how he's, he's a war vet and he did lots of horrible things overseas and killed people and did all these nasty things and then all of a sudden, they carry on with the audit, and we don't hear what he's saying. So at this point, he could be talking about his actual crimes, his actual 10 crimes. And I think he is, because yeah. they say he's got it all, you know, and it's a massive it's a, stack yeah, of papers. It is. And then the assessor comes in to eat them. He eats them, and he, but he chokes on them. Mm. And he's having trouble, bless him. He can't get his meal down. He can't, and he's sort of vomiting black blood instead of his normal, lovely vomit stuff. <clears throat> And it also goes next door, and the jury are having trouble with it as well. Yeah, with they're, black they're all in difficulties, and so the auditor needs a bit of help. He wants to. He wants to find out what's going on. And you know, this is a new operation, but yeah. he, he, he's he's very quick to. He doesn't sort it out on his own. So first of all, <laughs> no, he's, he sends him off to be cleaned by the cleaners. Like, go go be cleaned. Yeah, um, and then he goes off and. So for this section, it looks to me like he's going off to to, find, to try and find Pinhead to get his advice, which yeah. he does eventually. But first of all, there is a bell that tolls and lots of white light comes in. And he's like, oh, no. Oh God, oh. It's so funny this because he's literally like, oh, who's this? Oh, oh, yeah. oh. oh Who's at the door? Oh. Bong. And it's this lady turns up blonde lady wearing white wearing white bathed Bright, in white white light we don't know who she is at this moment but he does mention her in a moment this is she is an angel she's who who is an actual character an actual angel from <laughs> an actual angel she's a real angel from you know the bible yes but she's a real yeah character If you, unless you believe in these things so she's either she's a real not. angel if you believe she's in that, real. she's a real character anyway she's based don't. on a real person who sure. And the real person kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden and also looked after Noah's children, Mm -hmm. I believe, which is mentioned later on. Yes. And she says, let him go. And the auditor goes, "Uh, what? And she says, just let him go and everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine. Let him go. And it's all okay." (laughs) Yeah. So she's just like. And she implies that it's him. It's like God who's telling him to do this. Well, she doesn't really at this point. She, this just, point, she just says, doesn't... let him go, let him go. That's it. I don't want to come but back But she just sort of says, she sort of implies to him that you better do what we say because there's you know a higher power that's yeah. at work. Yeah, yeah. She implies that. So then the auditor goes to see Pinhead and it's like, mate, I need some help. I'm having some trouble with it's this guy. It's all gone wrong. It's all gone wrong. Meanwhile, the, Sean is being cleaned by the cleaners and we get a much more graphic look at what they do and what they do is they do lots of cleaning with their tongues as we saw earlier on uh and so apparently there was a lot more filmed that they that gary cut out god imagine filming that as well i know and i remember it was supposed to be 80 90 oh, as well as the start. No, no. and they so they lick 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 and then they all manage to spit their saliva into a little receptacle and they pour that into his mouth and it's all bubbly and frothy and which is disgusting. Dis- this is probably... Th- this is the most disgusting moment of any Hellraiser film. It's awful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost... Yeah, I almost... Yeah, I didn't like watching it. Which I is won't... how, you know, horrific horror films should be, I guess. Which is <laughs> amazing, because my mind's thinking that they... Sticking their tongues oh, off his bum. Yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, they're just pouring saliva into his mouth, which yeah. is more disgusting. And apparently there was some some people who left the set when they were filming this because they, they couldn't stand yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, it's a great <laughs> effect because the stuff just oh, it's is just so foamy and gross. It's uh, really, really horrible. It's really really made, horrible. A, made of egg whites, apparently. Really horrible. It's really nasty. And then But he manages to get a hand free, reaches up, and grabs hold of one of the cleaner's heads. And then we cut to... The auditor talking to Pinhead, and Pinhead's like, "Well, go and just deal with it, sort it out." Yeah, and he's not very helpful at this point. He's got a look; he's staring at his wall. He's been looking at. Do you mind? I'm looking at trying to look at this wall over here. But Chatterer is there as well, which is fun. Yeah, we see Chatterer. Chatterer new, turns up. New Chatterer. Up, he, yeah, he turns up. He's a bit. Um, the makeup's a bit, bit clean. Bit clean. I think it's better than the some of the other films, though, because if you look at something like Hell World. It just looks like a big rubber mask. Yes. This actually looks like makeup. I mean, it looks cool, yeah. Um, I think the teeth are are different. Mm. Like, the actual shape of the teeth are different. Because yeah. there's something about the mouth that doesn't look the same. Um, which is yeah, fair enough. I agree. But it's fun when it, when he first turns up, because the auditor comes in and Chatterer turns up. As if he's going to do something to him, and then Pinna's like, no... Yeah, which is nice. Which is nice because he's kind of (laughs) the the attack dog as they said before, you know, he comes and grabs hold of you, whatever. Yeah. And but and so we get the the sense And you've got the the Stitch The Stitch twins. Twins in the corner. They're there in the background, yeah. And the auditor kneels in front of Pinhead, so it's very much a hierarchy going on here. Yes. Pinhead's the boss. Is the boss. And the auditor is asking for his help and his advice. And then it turns out Sean has, has, is it implied he's killed them? I get, it's supposed to be that he's killed the cleaners. They're all lying on the floor, not moving. And he's escaped. Yeah, I th- he's killed them. He's killed them. And he's stolen a puzzle box, which we didn't mention, but he saw those earlier on when he's having his audit done. And he asked what they were and the audit sort of says, you know, they gateways, they open, they can do this, pleasure and pain. Yeah, he tells him what it is. So Sean has stolen one of those and he's left. He's yeah. gone. And, he, and the auditor says to Pinhead, you've got to get him back. You've got to help me. Yeah. And Pinhead says, don't need to. He'll come back to He'll us. He'll come back. So as this is the first proper moment, we've got a proper look at Pinhead. Should we talk about Paul T. Taylor? Yes. Now, the it's obviously a hard job to take on the role of Pinhead. That is an there's... understatement. <laughs> there are so many fans of Doug Bradley. And for a lot of people, Hellraiser is not Hellraiser without Doug Bradley which I would have agreed with before I saw this film. Well, um, especially because we saw yeah. this film before this one. So the, the best that Paul T. Taylor could hope for is people saying, it's a shame it's not Dub Bradley, but he did a good job. And that is what people are saying, which is great. Yeah, I, I, I think he did do a good job. He does. And I mean, we won't even compare him to Revelations Pinhead. Which is he so was bad, terrible, but uh, no. Obviously, it's not Doug Bradley. But as a replacement for this film, and maybe another, we'll see. I don't know. Um, he does a good job, and it—it's not doesn't take you out of the film. You don't sit there just wishing it was Doug Bradley. It works. Yeah, it does work. It definitely and I, works. I think and he he, does, yeah, he does really well in the role. Yeah, I think he does well, and it, as you say. You don't go, oh, oh, go, oh, Doug. Oh, you know, you you can you can set that aside, yeah. and watch the film on its own merit. And he's not in it very much either, so no. But what yeah. he does, he does well. Yeah, if it, if he was in the whole film like *Hellraiser* three, it wouldn't have worked as well. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it would be interesting to see. I certainly, from watching this film, if they make another one and they have him in it, I, you know, I'm I'm more excited about seeing yep. him do more. Yeah. Um, well, now that this I one's been, I think he been, can do it. He's been, I mean, he's been pretty well received actually by the fans. Yeah, he has. The film has has had uh, good and bad reviews. I've mm. seen lots of people talking about the film online, but even the people that don't like the film have admitted that they think the new Pinhead's okay, which yes. is which is great, which is probably one of the hardest things to get right. Yeah, so, I've seen people. Know. I've seen people online who hate the film, but. Admit that Paul's good as Pinhead. Yeah, which so, is amazing. So it's great for yeah. him. And obviously, as obviously we've interviewed Paul and we have, and I also met him recently at the London Film and Comic Con and yes. got another little interview, a follow-up interview, which I'll, I'll play later on in the podcast. Um, and he's yep, yeah, he's he's very aware that you know, he's a replacement. <laughs> and he's very aware that this could be the only time he plays it. So he's going to, you know, he's going to all the conventions he can. He's going to milk it for all he's worth. His 50 minutes of fame. But hopefully it's going to be a bit more than that. So yeah, uh, hopefully it'll lead to a bit more. And Yeah, and I, I think, you know, he, he's a nice guy. and yeah. Very enthusiastic. Mm. And it's really nice that he's been embraced by the fans and that he's been able to pull it off in this instance. And yeah. uh, so I wish him well and I am hope to see um, more from him. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I've got a little because bit... I don't think Doug's going to come back to the no, franchise not, no I don't think he will at this um, stage unless, unless it's a big big budget reboot and he gets paid a lot of money yeah and you know if he does come back then fantastic you mm-hmm. know he made that role yeah um, but if he doesn't I think at the minute Paul is doing very well yeah I agree. So there's a little interview with him. We'll play at the end of the podcast. Um, it's only sort of eight minutes or so when I met him the other day at the London Film of Comic Con. Hmm. Uh, so we have that later on. Ooh. Another thing that's interesting is when they're talking about Sean having choked the assessor and froze the jury and he's killed these people, um, Pinhead does say, it's, it's quite hard to hear, but he does say innocent as in he's been assessed and he was deemed innocent. Which is what I thought they were getting at. Like that's, that, what, I'm that's yeah. what it stopped the process because, because he, w- he, was he, know, he was innocent, and the assessor just went carry on. But I don't know why Pinhead says that here because he's what's he innocent of? I don't understand that because he is obviously guilty of being a serial killer as well as being a moody. Leading man. <laughs> yes, I think I, I think there's maybe a bit of confusion in the ideas there. Yeah, because maybe. It, it's kind of, it's, it's in the sense of this movie, it's that God has intervened at this point. Yeah. to make him see. We do not really, really know yet. Yeah, but. so that it doesn't quite follow. Do you know what? That's actually the f- only the first time that I've thought of that a bit like that. Is yeah. That, so it's God that's made God sessor choke and the... yes, that's okay. what I believe. Right? Am I being really stupid and not realizing? No, no, that? no. I, because I hadn't it doesn't... thought of that. That does make sense. Because it does. No, because I just thought God sent Jafiel down to stop stop it happening. Yeah, because that's what I mean. The Jafiel stuff. No, but that does make sense though. But then what happens later doesn't quite fit with that in my mind. We'll get there in a bit. Okay. <laughs> anyway, sure. Maybe home. Just, just to announce, maybe we are being very thick here. Yeah. yeah let us know what you think. Sometimes um, we are. Sometimes. Sometimes we are. We are. <laughs> Anyway, so Sean goes home to his wife, uh, who we met briefly earlier on. He's not very nice to her. He's, well, he forgot her birthday. She's a bit cross with him. And it's not the happiest of marriages. We get the idea. Um, and he has this, this dream, this cenobitic dream, where the Stitch Twins turn <laughs> That's a up. great name for a band. <laughs> cenobitic <laughs> Dream. <laughs> the Stitch Twins turn up. They put this big mask on his head. And this is like medieval torture stuff. Um, and then Poor Chatterer Moulton. turns up. Yeah, and they pour molten oil into his eyes and then he wakes up. Now, we've got to mention Chatterer now at this point. There's some sort of longish shots of Chatterer and you can hear the teeth chattering, but you can't see them chattering, though. Mm. And Gary has admitted this was this is an um, an error, a mistake. They messed up. On the day they filmed this scene, the guy in the mask uh, couldn't get the jaw mechanism to work and get to go up and down. So it's not chattering. And they knew that when they filmed it, but they couldn't. They didn't have the budget or the money to go and refilm it. It's such a deal breaker, isn't it? Yeah, and for me, what what I would have done is just had more quicker shots of him, and not a longish shot where you can't where you can see it's not moving up and down. Just have it chattering, hear the noise, and then just it keeps flashing to his face briefly. Such that would toughie. work better, I think. Such a toughie. It because is, I know yeah. what he, I know. I can imagine him going, mm. oh, if I do lots of quick shots, people are going to be really annoyed because I brought him back. And yeah, maybe. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I can imagine people going, oh, we only saw him for like three seconds. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I mean, it's in the name. Yeah. You know. Well, he has got the sound, you know. That's, and that's it, kind like of, it. it kind of works as a sort yeah. of little bodge job. But it, it you, we obviously noticed it immediately. And we were like, that's a bit weird. Yeah, yeah. Shame. Um so this dream sequence uh, But sorry just to go, oh, just yes, to, just go to on. mention please, that though. Please do. I think that shows you what incredible pressure they must have been under to make this film and actually do what you, Gary's done in terms of the scheduling and getting it done because obviously that is something you would have to refilm yeah. and he couldn't. They um the film cost according to Gary $350,000. That's which the is budget. Insane. Which is nothing. And how long do you reckon they, they filmed this entire movie in? Don't look at my notes. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'd say um, a month. A, m- a month. <laughs> Half that. Half. 15 days. They filmed the entire film in 15 days, which is insane. That is crazy. So, yeah, they were under intense pressure, time and money pressure. They they so sort of literally couldn't go back and refilm these things that didn't work, which must be heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, must be. And that and that I think that is important to say. You know, whenever we're critiquing things like this, we we do bear that in mind. The the creator, yeah, yeah. Um, because we'll be picking over things now that he might be sitting there going, oh well, I yeah, couldn't but, yeah, redo but... that, could I? You know, <laughs> and or, or, this had to be done, and it was done, yeah. and then I did the best I could. You know, so. Um, no ill will meant from that point no of no because we, we've well, you know, we've been involved in projects where whether them short films or radio plays or theatre and we know that you have to cut corners sometimes sometimes it doesn't turn out the way you want it to no and it's and a it's real it's shame not, and, but, but then people look at that as in going well that's the best that you could do mm, so yeah, therefore exactly. you know you've put it in front of me so it's the best you could do which is not always the case and particularly no. on something like this so I do take that into account yes anyway Anyway, he wakes up from the dream, or so we think, and then he, he his wife rolls over and they have some sex. Uh but in the sex she he keeps flashing to her wearing sort of tight leathery bondagey stuff and he's flashing the, the, the stitched twin faces and he gets very upset and Chatterer's face is there and he just throws her off and goes out. And it's supposed to, I think it's supposed to be implying that that's also a dream. Yeah, it's kind of like pinhead's got into his mind mm. and is now yeah. sort of giving him these hallucinations almost in the original script which gary was forced to remove uh she goes down on him at this point he comes and then she lifts up her head and it's his brother's face and he wipes his mouth <laughs> and oh the studio God. were like no no take that out well the studio were right <laughs> that we none- did not need that another one because he then goes outside he bumps into this homeless guy who then is all of a sudden skinless and in the original script the, the homeless guy pointed behind him like a bin and uh there is his wife having sex with two guys in pig masks. What? <laughs> yeah. They're like, right, take out the pig sex. Yeah, we didn't need that either. Um but then he does get sort of uh the this homeless skinners homeless person there, and then the jury are there for some reason in the street, mm. and there's a puzzle box and the homeless guy sort of hits him with the box and then knocks him over he's been drinking as well at this point and then he that's thats it then he sort of passes out at the end of that scene yeah which is quite cool it's a bit weird this bit for me this bit was a bit like um, Inferno when there's weird flashes of Cenobites you don't know what's going on what's real what's not and I'm very pleased (laughs) that it was only this bit that was like that yeah because I hate those kind of things I know you get a bit fatigued when you watch Inferno and then Hell Seeker and it's all a bit like what's real, what's not, what's real, what's oh, not I hate is it? it real? So I'm glad the rest of it is actually just straightforward. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm pleased yes. they didn't do that for the whole film No, it's good uh, So then we have a scene with Edgerton and David Carter and this is sort of exposition scene about Sean's character and it turns out Edgerton's actually been brought on board to not only help out with the investigation but also to keep an eye on Sean because they people think he's a bit unhinged mm. and there's a there's a question about whether he's got ptsd from when he was overseas as a soldier yes um or whether he's actually you know got too close to the case and he's burning out oh that old um, chestnut david says that he used to drink doesn't anymore though he's been sober for ages yep and then gets a phone call from the wife allison and he's like it's, it's his wife he's all right he'll be all right hello? Oh, uh, yeah, sure, I'll be there in a minute. And then Edgerton's like, everything alright? So, yeah, oh yeah, I've just got to go and keep pick him up because his car's not working. Bye! <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out Alison has phoned uh, David because he's just there outside and the, <laughs> he's slumped in you know, a drunken stupor. Yeah, it's all gone a bit wrong for him. Um, but then the next scene, you've got David admitting all this to Edgerton, which I th- seemed a bit out of place for me. Um, sort of telling her that he's he's been drinking and he also finds a book of a Tale of Two Cities with some, a couple of lines underlined that turns out were in a, a preceptor letter as well. Yeah, so this is the kind of first sort of point where uh, David is suspecting in some way mm. that his brother may be either the. I don't think he thinks he's the killer. he or he's involved. Got too or close. Something's happening. Yeah, I think he's just. He's thinks, suspicious. He's suspicious, but I I think he's just worried about him, and he's got too close. He a bit obsessed with it, and he's not very well in the yeah. brain. Um, but it's a bit weird that he tells Edgerton this. But then when Edgerton says, "Can you have a little look around, see if you've anything weird?" He says, "No, I'm not going to look at stuff. I'm not going to investigate my brother." And it's like, <laughs> you, "You brought just it up." Basically, grasped <laughs> on him. And then the the medical examiner phones up, and it's this has been one of the longest autopsies in movie history. <laughs> yeah, what the hell was this From guy Crystal, doing? From Crystal, this is the the womb dog girl. He's found her mobile phone, her cell phone, lodged in her throat, in her esophagus. Hmm. So they go to and a silver spoon, see, yeah, in her mouth. Yeah, she was born with a silver spoon in her mouth. Yeah, so they go and see this guy who's a bit of sort of comic relief in inverted commas <sighs> <laughs> wearing a Hawaiian shirt and makes a gag about the phone. I mean, as I, 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 he if he had had a sandwich in his hand, yeah, he would have been the typical you know, coroner. <laughs> <laughs> um, he makes a, a gag and then he comes on to uh, Edgerton. But anyway, it turns out that they've managed to plug the phone in and GPS was turned on. So they know where the phone lost signal. And he says she definitely killed somewhere else because there was no blood around. So they know where she was killed. Yeah. Which is kind of an interesting way of doing it these days. This is a really good idea. This is a really good idea. So they go to the place and find find it. And Edgerton is texting uh, the brother, David, back and forth. Anything? Anything yet? Found anything weird? No, not yet. Um, and the enter of the layer, the preceptor's layer, and there's pictures all over the walls. Pictures of the victims. And the last one is is has been the tenth picture is covered over, and they uncover it, and it's a picture of David Carter in the background oh. and a blonde lady in the foreground who I didn't realise straight away, is um, Alison Carter, Sean's wife. Oh. And at that point we think, oh, what's going on? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Sean smashes edge in the face with his gun and then brutally <laughs> beats her up with really it. Really unnecessarily brutally. Very, very violent this moment. Yeah. So David turns up and he comes in and Sean's got a gun on him and he realises that Something's gone a bit wrong. And then the <laughs> wife turns up because he called her. that Because Sean called her. And he's going to punish them. Yeah. Because this is the sin of adultery. He's coveting his brother's wife. Yes. So he sits them down opposite each other and gives them the puzzle box and says, open that. Mm-hmm. And they do. Yeah. Quite quickly. Well, this is the typical puzzle hey, box. I know. Hey, sorry. Right. That okay. opens itself. <laughs> uh, and then... Even though they started the film by saying it didn't work anymore and no point using it. <laughs> yes. Uh, then Pinhead turns up. Yeah. Chains and all. Chains and all. All the chains come down from the ceiling, which is a very nice moment. Mm-hmm. And then turns out Sean is there to make a deal. He's going to strike a deal. I'll give you these two guys instead of me. How about that? and Pinus is not really how it works which is so weird because everybody jumps to this conclusion mm. that you can make well, a deal maybe he's seen the first film I'm <laughs> <laughs> just like that would not be the first well, thing that would to me <laughs> yeah. no I know Yeah, what we haven't said is actually David does kind of work out it's, um, it is it is shown by something he said that God will punish I know God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man so he says that to him and he does two google searches and uh, search searches sorry he does and, and finds out, you know, turns up with the preceptor and says, hey, it's you. And she was like, oh, you're a hell of a detective. <laughs> it's so hard, isn't it? To write satisfying detective stuff in movies. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's really I know. difficult. I think it is it's hard. a very tough challenge. So now we have Pinhead and then jaffield turns up again. And I've got to say, I hate her costume. Yeah. So she's wearing a, a white jacket nothing underneath it so you can sort of just see just like a crop top the, yeah is it-, it is sort of yeah she's got some flesh exposed uh, no nudity but you can sort of see the uh, very low V of her chest and it's interesting I guess um, I just don't like it I just she, she just makes her seem yeah, really human it, and her she shoes does. and stuff it just seems very human to and me and this bit this is where the low budgetness sort of comes to the fore because she looks like a pretty actress dressed nicely saying some lines yeah I, th- I think they could have gone a bit more outlandish especially with when she's surrounded by you know Pinhead and the auditor I know and it just looks really these guys, aren't they? yeah um, but and, I you know they might not have had the time or money I accept that but in mm-hmm. this case I think it lets the scene down a bit yeah David and Alison get pulled off to hell because they opened the box, I guess, together. Yeah, they're so dead. They're, they're, they've, they've, they've committed adultery, so they have to go to hell. Apparently. They've gone. They're out the story as well. And Sean's sort of being hooked and chained in classic form. And Jofield tells Pinnair to let him go. And this is part of God's plan. Because you can't have good without evil. And him being so bad and being so serial killer-ish, is making people, you know, go back to to believe in God and pray for things, and so this is this is this is the idea of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of that I idea, don't like Phil? I think it's a terrible idea. Do you? Um, but I'm it not sounds a fan like of this plot point. Nah, it, you know, but it, I can buy it in the movie in the context. I mean, this is the this is the first time we've had God and angels in a Hellraiser film. Yeah. If you've read the Scarlet Gospels or you've heard our podcast about it, you'll know that they sort of feature in in that, which is a Clive Barker story set in the same world. So you can argue that 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 is technically canon, if it's Clive Barker. Yes, because I I probably would have been a bit more argumentative about this had I not read that. Yeah. I would have been like, well, have they brought angels into it? And all Mm -hmm. this for... But yeah, it is what Clive Barker's vision encompasses. And they've already talked about Heaven and Hell, slightly in some of the other films, just in passing, and it's been in the comics as well. Yes, the which are again co-written by Clive Barker, the the Boom Studios comics. They they had Heaven and Hell and Judgment and Sin, mm. so it's not completely out of the realms of the Hellraiser franchise. We've just not really seen it in a film before. Yeah, and it um, it works as a as an idea. It doesn't. It didn't. The first time I saw the film, I didn't quite buy it straight away. I was, when it, that plot point was made, I thought, mm, "Okay, right, where are you going with this?" And it's interesting that it, that God is letting this serial killer finish his ten murders. And it's also interesting that that Sean thinks he's been forgiven because God's That's on his side. That's a good moment. I like that. Yeah, and she's like, "Oh no, no, you're not forgiven. You're a serial killer." Yeah. When you die, there's going to be judgment. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I like that moment. And you then win she the prize. she forces Pinhead to let him go, and Pinhead says, "Okay, I will." It's before not after not not before having a quite a few digs at Jaffiel about calling her Eden's doorman and looking mm. after Noah's incestuous offspring and this sort of stuff. And uh, Paul T. Taylor, in this is. Oh, yeah, he's, he's doing well. Yeah, he's, he's good. He's really good. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Because he's doing his whole do less, do less, do less thing. But you can also feel the the anger and the mm. and the emotion from him. It. Yeah, he it does well. Uh, so Sean is taken back to the real world. And as soon as he's back there, Edgerton turns up and bang, 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 shoots him dead. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very funny. Yeah. and And is a reasonably satisfying moment. Yeah. I thought. I agree. You know, I, I kind of went, aha. Especially because you choose him once and he, he starts to say something. So if he's got this big final speech, you just go bang, bang, bang. It doesn't let him say it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, no, that's cool. Because he's a bit of, he's a bit up himself, isn't he? He's a yeah, bit this, kind of and a literary. Yeah, he starts to say it's going to be from a tale two cities as well. Yeah, doesn't let him say it. Yeah. Which I is, like that. That's, that's cool. lovely. That is cool. And um, yeah, I did, I did enjoy this moment. I did, I went and ordered to myself. I kind of went, oh. <laughs> yeah, Oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, good. So there you go. And then she calls it in. I've got the preceptor. Everything's fine. Happy ending. Except for all the deaths. Yeah. But then, Jafiel is saying to Pinhead, you knew that was going to happen. You messed up our plan. We're going to punish you. You're going to suffer. And he's like, suffer? Pah! Hmm. Pish. Yeah. I can do suffering. I love suffering. Bring it on. And then the auditor says, well, you know, there is something that she could do that, that would be really bad, which would be banishment. So he, Pinhead... He's had enough of her at this point. Yeah. And he, Oh, yeah, sorry. He, yeah, you miss out missed out on the, <laughs> the big deal. <laughs> so he just goes, <laughs> right, I've had enough of you. And he hooks and chains her. He does. Puts his pins in her forehead. In her forehead. forehead, like a crown of thorns. And he's really dismissive of her and just really like, who do yeah. you think you are? You exactly. know, I'm, I'm, I don't even know who you are. I don't care. I'm pinhead. I love suffering and all this stuff. Yeah, And, and she gets ripped apart. And he kills her. Again, and this is a sort of... It comes in and out as to whether these beings can be killed or not killed. Yeah. And she's clearly not dead. You know, she's still somewhere else, I think. So what's the point, then? Just to show that he's he's just messing, oh, messing her oh up. Oh, God. Maybe he's destroyed this physical form of her that she likes to look like. So, yeah. But then the banishment thing happens, and that's the very last shot of the film. Pinhead. On Earth... As a human, he's been banished to the mortal realm and he's still got some crisscrossy scars on his head so you can tell it's him. Um, And that's it. Then, Bang, film ends. Yeah. Very abrupt ending, which Gary says was the plan all along to make you go, oh, oh God. And then it ends, which I found very jarring the first time I saw it. I was like, oh, what's going to happen now? Oh, is that the credits? Yeah, I think it could have done with just another little button on that Mm because I like the... (gasps) Whoa! I think again, it was a time thing because Gary did say that there was a um, originally the scene was going to be like a policeman coming along and seeing this homeless guy and turning him over and it's pinhead and all that's a bit more to do with him. But they ran out of time and had to quickly, quick film him quickly <laughs> done. Yeah, I didn't mind that, but I just I just think after that it just yeah. Whoosh. Ends, whereas there could have just been an extra little piece. But yeah, I get, I get that, I get it. There is an extra little piece at the end of the credits. <clears throat> and any, anyone that's watched the film and just turned it off in the credits won't have seen this. But at the end of the credits, there's a little tiny moment where we're in a house in another country, and these two Mormons turn up, and they ask the guy at the door if they can spread the word of God. And it turns out it's the auditor, and he set up shops somewhere else, mm. and he welcomes them in. And it ends with a a gag, saying there's two of them, and it's not even Tuesday. Ha! End. So (laughs) he's carrying on. The Stygian Inquisition is continuing, albeit somewhere else. So we'll see. There could be a sequel just about that, or there could be a sequel about Pinhead in the real world, or pinhead they might, getting back to being pinhead again as or they've done they might just ignore this film completely and just do a different How is a film. We've got no idea at this time. We don't even know who who's going to be making the next film or cuz it's a bit up in the air at the moment is the, the rights have gone to a different couple of different people and cuz the Weinstein company has gone horribly wrong. Um, we'll see who's going to be making the next one and producing it. So it's certainly if Doug doesn't want to come back to the yeah. hellraiser it would be a, a great shame particularly for paul if they didn't get paul back in again yeah, to I do agree. pinhead um yeah because he's obviously proven that he's he's he can do it in this one um but yeah where it's going to go and what's going to happen we don't know and paul mentioned that briefly when i spoke to him um so i think that was a good time to play the interview that we had with paul t taylor the other day at the london film comic con so this is what he had to say when I met him recently. Here we go. Hey, so I'm here with Paul T. Taylor. Hello, Paul. How are you finding the London Film and Comic-Con so far?
1: Hi, Peter. I love it here. I mean, this is for my first time in the UK, and I've had nothing but a wonderful experience. This is an amazing... The Olympia is huge. It's- Amazing this is the biggest con I've ever been to. Oh
0: wow, okay. Yeah,
1: and I got to see uh, theater Thursday I got here Thursday, and I went to, to uh, the old Vic Thursday night and saw a monster calls and and had a wonderful time And then the next morning we started the con and it's been You know nothing but positive. It's so professionally run. I mean yeah, it is very amazing. impressive the staff is huge and My every need, my every whim is met. So it's great. Good stuff. And how has life been for you since the film came out? It's been wonderful because I've gotten to go to conventions, you know, and I have actually gotten more uh, film offers. Uh, Not, you know, big, huge films, but still more, just more interest, which is wonderful. But uh, really the most important thing is that people... A lot of people who are hardcore Hellraiser fans actually like the movie and actually accept me as a pinhead alternative to (laughs) Doug Bradley. Um, So it's been great, you know? Yeah, I agree. So I
0: take even look, you've been seeing some of the feedback, and overwhelmingly, people are saying, hey, this new pinhead's pretty good. So that must be amazing for you to, to see that.
1: When I read the stuff, it's really wonderful, but what I really love is being at the conventions and having people come to the table and say that sort of thing to me. And it's just like, man, I have to really listen to that and hear what they're saying and just know that they mean it. And that was something I was worried about for two years uh, since we filmed until until it came out. And I knew going into this that they were big shoes to fill, but I wasn't going to say no. Mm -hmm. I had open eyes, but I was a little uh, cautious. But I'm just... Had to use, have no fear whatsoever, and just freaking do it, and it feels, it's wonderful. So. That's amazing. Good for you. Are there any hints at all of another one, for for you at the moment? Well, for me, I don't know. I mean, I'm. If there is, if there is a phone call, I will say yes. That's all I can say because I, I you know, I would love to play Pinhead again. I don't. I've heard that some scripts have been written, or a script has been written by possibly some very high up in the um, Hellraiser world, people. Uh, you know, anyway, well, that was a terrible sentence. <laughs> but uh, I don't know who's going to own the franchise next, because, or who, what they're going to do with yeah. the franchise. Whoever the next franchise owners happen to be. I don't know what they're going to do with it. Um, so, that's kind of a big, that's sort of the biggest question. If it had stayed, uh, if it had stayed with Dimension Films and Bob Weinstein, I think I would have had a an excellent shot at doing another film as Pinhead, yeah. but I don't know what's going to happen now. It's going to depend completely on
0: who has, who holds the reins next. So. Now we can talk spoilers at last. Um, okay. Was there any any clue from Gary to you what his idea next for the character? Now that you're back in the human realm.
1: Well, he he, I've asked him that, and some fans have asked him that, and generally, what his answer is, um, it of course more involves the new faction that he's introduced that the auditor uh, that the auditor is in charge of uh, the Stygian Inquisition Um, but things going you know perhaps Pinhead has been replaced by someone else and things are not working out with this new Hell hell Priest so while the person who was this is totally spoiler isn't it? it while the person who was the hell priest is now in human form Um, it's in my opinion he wants his position back of course he does he wants that he misses it more than anything and he's in agony true human agony now in his current form so he's also working towards that i have my own ideas actually yeah i'm sure everyone does oh i have some great ideas about his story Um, But of course that would be me in a starring role throughout the whole movie (laughs) lots of screen time. But uh, but Gary's idea is to um, want this person back in the position, so he's sending out little clues and hints and, and helpful things to help this person find his way back to the position somehow. Sure. But I don't know anything else. I, that's you know it's a general idea. It's yeah. nothing specific. Of
0: course. Cool. Yeah. Um, so you said you weren't actually there for very long with the filming. How long were you there for? For I filming th- it. I had three days. Three. There's an awful lot that happens in three days for you. Yeah. It is. Well, yeah. So was it very intensive the filming? Now that we've seen the film, we know how much that happens. That was, was
1: it. The, the first day was easy. The first day we didn't shoot much, but and the second day. It was uh, it was pretty easy too, except for the nicotine overdose. That was tough. Yeah. But uh, the third day was the big scene where we shot the big scene and uh, reshot the nicotine scene, which is not even in the movie. So we was okay. wasted a lot of
0: time. So Gary must have been very, very obviously very prepped, and everything was ready in advance. And totally, yeah. totally, there was not a moment wasted. No, no it was incredible. I mean. For, that,
1: for as low a budget as the film had, for it to look as good as it does, yeah. it had to be someone who was completely prepared and had no time to waste. And it was a labor of love for him,
0: which made all the difference. Absolutely. And what about you? What's next for you? What are you doing next?
1: Uh, I've just been cast in a in a lifetime comedy um, on, on the Lifetime Network, I guess, in the States. Um, and it's it's an, sort of an office comedy, sort of a sort of a Groundhog Day um, theme, where uh, the same day keeps being relived by its heroine over and over and over again until she gets it right. But I'm her boss, and it's just a quirky kind of dweeby guy. The kind ah, of stuff a little different I, then. <laughs> yeah, but for me, I've played those kind of guys before a lot and so pinhead was the departure for me and so it's gonna be hellraiser
0: fans tuning into that and saying hey what's this guy doing
1: i know it's gonna be pretty funny (laughs) to see what people say um you know and uh and other than that i do have some other things in the works but i have not signed any any other contracts yet but i have some some wonderful possibilities coming up there's a there's a short film called The Torturer that I'm, we're going to be doing, written by Paul Kane, uh, who's a big Hellraiser guy, yeah, yeah. you know, and uh, that's gonna be a short film, uh, and that'll be fun to do. I'm it's gonna be a guy in agony, basically torturing, torture, torture. Um, but I'm very also excited about a gentleman who has secured the rights to the sh- Stephen King short story Uncle Otto's Truck.
0: Oh yes, yeah, I know it. Yeah, yeah it's
1: in the Skeleton Crew yeah. book of stories and he wants me to play Uncle Otto oh,
0: wow.
1: and I had read that book many years ago and I read the story again I was like this is it's such a great part because yeah. it's a descent into madness uh, by an old crazy man and I can't wait to play it mm-hmm. I just can't wait so and there's some other things I've auditioned for some other things like a remake of Ghost House um, uh, that um, I've been cast in uh, to play the Grim Reaper but in this version, he will have lines, you know, uh-huh. pithy comments or whatever. Um, there's one other, but I, is there another? I think that's all that's firm. There's another movie that's been, that's that's been that is okay. in pre-production that I can't say for sure that I'm going to be in, but I just really hope that I get to play a scary clown. That's right. just all I'm going to say.
0: Well, good luck with that yeah. one. Thank you. I hope so well thanks for talking to us and have absolutely. a great day the rest of the day with the uh, the convention and thank we'll have to see you, you again soon mm. thank I you. will I hope yeah. thank you so clearly what he's saying about a future film is is not anything set in stone it's just stuff that he thinks or he's heard Gary talking about yeah Um. so that none of that is you know definitely happening but it's interesting ideas though and some stuff that could could well make sense and make a good movie yeah I kind of think absolutely so there we go. That's Hellraiser Judgment. So, what are your final thoughts on the film, Phil? Um, I overall enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a million times better than <laughs> the film that preceded it. Yeah, uh, I will not speak its name. Um, <laughs> and I think Gary Tunnicliffe really proved that he's you know he's got the chops to do it. Definitely, um, yeah. He's done a great job. Um, this the stuff, the police procedural stuff, I think bogs it down a bit and is yep. a bit cliche and a little bit dull, mm-hmm. um, especially when compared with the imagination that's going on in the rest of it. I think it could have he could have indulged himself a bit more and gone a bit bit more into yep. it. Um, but overall, lots of good stuff. In I this. agree for, for the tiny budget this film had and the tiny shooting schedule. The the stu- especially the Stygian stuff is better than most things you see in horror films nowadays. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good horror, striking, uh, you know, shocking horror stuff. It's excellent. I agree with the some of the police stuff is a little bit ploddy, um, but I don't really know how you can really get around that in certain aspects. You do need to have them investigating stuff. I think they just she's just thrown us a few more curveballs. Um, yeah, maybe. I think it was very predictable. The characters were predictable. The scenarios were a bit predictable. Mm. Actually, make the characters a bit more idiosyncratic. You know, make them a little bit less, yeah, like something I've seen before. You know, and I think it could have. I thought generally the acting was was good. A couple of possible exceptions to that, but um, generally everyone was was good in it. Yeah, which is again different to Revelations. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and um again, you know, for the pressure that they had to make it, it's it's quite an achievement, actually. Yeah. Oh, um, I agree. It's yeah, and well done to everybody involved because I think well done. You know, you've you've done incredibly well with yeah. uh, what you had to work with. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was good. It was good. It was it was entertaining and it was enjoyable. I was very surprised. Well, how good it was. Yeah, because yeah. coming after the last one, mm-hmm. uh, I just thought this is, mm-hmm. this is really going to suck. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and it Pleas- was actually... Pleasantly surprised. It's actually yeah. um, got a lot going for it. So there we go. And on our 50th episode, I'm going to force Phil to, uh, to put all the films in order of preference, including this one. God. Which we actually did a poll on Twitter um, a while back to get everyone's ideas. We're going to tell you what most people think and what we think as well. That'll be one of the things we talk about on the Mm. 50th. So the next episode will be 49B. That'll be our commentary for Hellraiser Judgment. So join us again that. That will be with you quite soon um, because we're going to make sure we don't leave giant half-year-long gaps again. We've got some ideas on how we can get together more often and, and create more content. We'll tell you about that another time. Uh, We're still ironing out the details at the moment, but um, rest assured, we will be doing this more regularly from now on. Yeah, we want to do more. And um, yeah, we we will tell you more about this when we Um, get more information. But just like the Hellraiser films, it's all about time and money and (laughs) lots of pressure on us as well from our, our actual lives. But we will be back soon with a commentary for Hellraiser Judgment. Thank you for listening. I'm Peter. I'm Phil. And we'll see you soon. Thank you all so much. Bye. Bye.